Hey, New City, so glad you are joining us today. My name's Nate. Uh, good to be the pastor here at New City. Glad you are joining us for this teaching. We're in a series called House Church, the study in First Peter. And if you are new, before I jump into the study, I just want to, uh, to let you know who we are. That we are an imperfect people, being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. And we really do mean that. We are an imperfect people. So uh, if you're watching and wondering if you could belong to a people like the, the, the people that make up New City Church, you can. Uh, we are an imperfect people. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we do take God seriously. And so we are courageous as we trust him, believing that he does have the power to make all things new. Now, the reading earlier in the service today was out of First Peter is verses one to six of chapter two. But we're going to be studying today 1 Peter 1, 13 to 2, 6. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to the Bible that way. If you have an app uh, with a Bible, you can open up to uh, those verses on an app. Uh, the New City app has the ESV link to it. And you can just open up the Bible through the New City app and find uh, those verses there for you to study along with us today. Uh, you have permission to be a priest. This is a big idea in this series called House Church. You have permission to be a priest, to consider your house a church in your neighborhood, your parish. Now the key touchstone verse is out of 1 Peter 2. It's in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies. Uh, that you can talk to people about how he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, you are a priest. God has made you a priest. And, you know, you are right now having church in your home. Uh, if you're watching this maybe from someplace that's not your home, you're having church wherever you are. And you are a priest there, empowered by the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian, uh, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to those who are near to you. Now, often people will ask me about New City Church. They'll say, hey, where's your church? Now, I want to be kind. I, I know what they're asking. They're not asking where our people are because the answer to that question, where's your church, is they're all over the city right now. Uh, they're asking, what building do you meet in? What building do you gather in? Or where does your church gather uh, uh, you know, on a week-in and week-out basis? And we gather in a building uh, sometimes, <laughs> not right now during COVID uh, very often, but we do gather in a building, but the church should not be reduced to an event you attend. It's, that's not what the church is. The church is a community of priests out doing the work of ministry. The church is not a place, it's a People always has been that way, always will be that way. And people keep asking questions like, hey, when's the church going to open up again? Uh, look, the church has never closed. In fact, the church has, has been open. And I would say the church is only as open as its people are open to the mission of God. And so I think if you are right now watching and you're a Christian, you're a recipient of the Holy Spirit, you are a priest in God's kingdom, you have been equipped to declare his excellencies, uh, that how God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, you have been equipped by the Holy Spirit of God to share that message. And you can use these messages that we are broadcasting uh, live and, and on demand later in the week. You, are, you can use these messages as a way to gather people as, as you can in COVID safe ways as permitted by government guidelines, you can begin to share as you invite your friends to worship with you online the good news message of Jesus. And so we see in the text that we were reading today in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you are a priesthood doing priestly things. Let me just 
say this, and I, and I, do, uh, I do mean this to be critical, uh, and, and I want you to receive it that way. Uh, it is possible for a church to be active in her physical gathering and yet be inactive in her personal mission. It is entirely possible for a church to be actively gathering in a space, yet be inactive in her missional calling to be a kingdom of priests. See, the virus may have limited our physical gathering at New City, but it has not limited our personal mission. Like, you are not limited in your personal mission right now. God has given you the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You are a priest. You are equipped for the purpose of declaring the excellencies of God. Now, I have been struggling lately with all things COVID, as I'm sure you have too. And when this all happened, we started immediately put together our plan for in-person gatherings. You can see it at newcityabq.org forward slash four-step plan. Boy, that four-step plan was so beautiful. It is still very beautiful. I, I think the, uh, the spreadsheet is, is so nice to look at. I kept thinking, man, we'll, you know, we'll be to step two, and then after two weeks, we'll have the, great, the gating criteria, and we'll move to step three, and after two more weeks, we'll meet the gating criteria, and we'll back to step four. And it seems like we've been stuck at step two and haven't moved yet to step three. And I, I, I'll just tell you how we're leading as a staff team and how we're leading as an eldership. That we are, <laughs> we're, not, we're not concentrating on our limitations. We really aren't. Uh, we need to not only see our limitations, and those are, you know, we need to acknowledge them, but we also need to see our opportunities. And that's what we're doing right now as a church. We're, we're looking for the opportunities. And we're asking questions like this. Here's the question we're asking right now. How can we empower the kingdom of priests at New City? We're asking that question. And we've been kicking it around as a staff team, and we've got some really great ideas that you can hear more about uh, in the coming weeks. But here are some questions along those lines of how can we empower a kingdom of priests at New City? We're asking, how can we turn our outdoor hobbies into missional opportunities? As provided by, you know, all these things are obviously COVID safe. How can we do it in the right way? But how can we, how can we turn our outside activities into missional opportunities? How can we use our front and backyards as places of worship? Like, how, how, can we be, how, how can we be good news in the places that we work, live, and play? What's that look like for us as New City Church? So we're asking, how can we empower the kingdom of priests at New City? But we're also asking, what in-person gatherings can we have if we can't gather on Sunday mornings in our space right now in an effective and meaningful way, what are other in-person gatherings we can have? Uh, can we gather outdoors? Can we have prayer gatherings? Can we have other kinds of events where we gather in person and we participate in ministry together? And we think the answer is yes, and we're looking at ways to do that. Now, if you are not currently up, up to date on all things New City, you don't receive our newsletter, uh, you're not following us on Instagram, uh, or you know, you're not getting uh, those, those emails from updates from me when I personally send those out, I wanna encourage you to text the word NEW to the number on the screen. And when you see that number, just text the word NEW to that number, what'll happen is uh, we'll begin to get your information so you can stay up to date on all things New City. And as we start to have some in-person gathering opportunities in the future, in the very near future, you'll be the first to know about it. Uh, we're also asking how can we increase engagement in our online gatherings? Uh, we don't want ever to be just a, a place that you attend events. That's never been a passion of ours. 
we really want to see engagement. I love it when uh, those of you who are watching this uh, in a live stream format and you're commenting and hearting uh, points that you agree with and encouraging one another, that's really great and, and encouraging if you can do that. But I know many of you are broadcasting on your television and you're not interacting in the chat feature, that's fine too. Uh, we want to provide a couple of ways for you to interact with us. After the service today, uh, there'll be a prayer Zoom room you can log into. Uh, we were talking about this at staff meeting recently and saying, what are the hurdles for people logging in and praying with one of our staff members or elders after a service? Uh, and I, I feel like one of the hurdles is that people right now in the COVID reality uh, are wearing their pajamas as they're watching church and maybe they haven't showered and maybe they haven't done their hair and, uh, and maybe they don't want to activate a video chat feature. And so we want you to know you don't have to activate the video to receive prayer. You can just log into the Zoom prayer room, use the audio only, and you can pray there. Also, after the service today, uh, after 9.15 and 11, I should say, service today, uh, right when the worship ends and the children's ministry begins, I'll start a uh, live Q&A session on Instagram. And you can follow us at New City ABQ on Instagram, and I will do a live Q&A session on this message this week and would love to ask, you know, answer your questions, engage with you online. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, we're going to try this out. And so if, if, if this works and you participate, it's going to be really, really great. So 9.15. 11. Uh, we'll have it available to be viewed at other times after that uh, on our uh, uh, Instagram handle. You can follow us at New City ABQ and find out all about that there. All right, so big main point in the message today is this. And there's five main points, but this is the big main point. Christians are truth seekers. Uh, Christians are a people who seek truth. Listen to 1 Peter 2.2, 2. this is interesting. He says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Like newborn infants, just hungry and needy. You know, newborn infants, if you've ever had one at home, you realize that they are just so needy, always crying, always wanting, always taking, never giving. Uh, eventually they do contribute. Uh, but, but, you know, when they're babies, they just want to eat and they just want to be taken care of. And he said, I want you to have that kind of attitude towards the truth. Long for the pure spiritual milk. That word spiritual is a very interesting word. Edmund Cloudy talks about it in his commentary. He says this, since Peter has just been describing the living logos by which Christians are given new birth, it would seem that he is using logicon uh, in that sense, the, the milk of the word as the, a, uh, as the American version has it. And so you might read the text this way, like newborn infants long for the pure word milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, like long for the word milk, the, the, the milk that is truth, that is the true word of God. You see this in 1 Peter 1, 23, since you have been born again, how were you born again? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So he says in verse 23 of chapter one, you are born again by the word of God, the truth of God, the logos of God spoken to you. And he says in, in chapter two, verse two, that you grow in your salvation through the same means, the word of God, the truth of God. Now, this is interesting to me because we are living in a cultural moment where truth has lost its truthiness. Uh, this, is, this is a weird time to be living because truth has, has lost its, its punch, its meaning, its value. He says in the text in verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. 
the pure spiritual milk. This is interesting. Uh, again from Edmund Cloudy, Peter commends a milk product that is free from additives. The word of God abides without uh, <laughs> preservatives. Consumers in the ancient world were, all, uh, were well aware that milk or wine could be watered down. Peter uses a word that was employed by merchants to describe pure, unadulterated products. This is, this is the pure milk, the, the good stuff, the stuff that you buy in the, in the back alley from the farmer, right? The, 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 the good stuff without all the additives. Now here's the big idea. A Jesus follower, a, a Jesus follower can not grow separate from submission to the truth of God's word. Acknowledging the truthiness of truth. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That the truth and submission to it is essential for your growth. You see, the truth outside of you must become greater than the passions inside of you. This is the teaching of 1 Peter in the section that we're studying this week. Uh, look at verse 1. This is the lead-in to verse 2, which is what we've just been talking about. He says, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and, and, and envy, and all slander, like newborn uh, infants long for the pure spiritual milk, long for the truth, long for the, 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 the truth. And in verse 13, in the beginning of the, the passage we're studying this week, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have your mind set on being sober-minded. Have your mind set on truth as obedient children. Do not become conformed to the passions or the epi-desires, the inordinate desires of your former ignorance. What, what do those inordinate desires look like? Those inordinate desires produce in you malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. He says, don't be ignorant. The ignorant mind will reveal itself. How does the ignorant mind reveal itself? Well, it displays malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Where you see those qualities and those traits, you will know that ignorance is attached to them. So he says, embrace the truth. The, 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 let truth have its, its value. It's, let it be truthy, <laughs> if you will. In the 1990s, there was a movement uh, that got a lot of attention in, in Christian circles. And, and um, it, it, every, I mean, other people were looking at it and identifying postmodernism as a trend. Uh, Postmodernism was really a movement of truth. Uh, Postmodernism moved truth from the outside, something you pursued on the outside that was bigger and greater than to you, and, and moved that truth on into the inside. Uh, one of my favorite thinkers, Ravi Zacharias, uh, said that postmodernism was best described as a mood, an attitude. Uh, it was a, better described as a passion of the heart, uh, where my heart led me that's where it led me to to my truth you see um this is a real challenge you see the the capacity for dialogue because of postmodernism and the movement of truth from the outside to the inside the capacity for dialogue true conversation in pursuit of the truth the capacity for dialogue was greatly diminished when truth became my truth 
and then was subsequently attached to my, my personal identity. You see, when truth went from the outside to the inside, truth then wrapped itself around my personal identity. Now, the postmodern person now can't be wrong. Or at least they can't be wrong without their personhood being violated. And that became a real problem and a real, that's one of the reasons why you don't see in modern discourse true dialogue where people are are competing uh, uh, with ideas in pursuit of a truth that's outside of oneself. What this has produced in American society, from my perspective, is a kind of radical individualism. Uh, people began to sort of say, you know, my, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth and, and they're living in that kind of radically individualistic space. But radical individualism works against the individual and we all see that to be true in the COVID world, right? We, we see that to be true uh, and, and, and if we want to not wear a mask and we want to not social distance, we want to not love our neighbor and we want to just seek our own personal rights, you can see how that works against the common good, actually works against the individual. Now, people began to sense that, and postmodernism now has given way uh, to a kind of neo fundamentalism because people realize that truth can't just simply live inside of me. I've got to find people who agree with me. You see, instead of engaging in dialogue that leads to the discovery of truth, which is what happened prior to postmodernism, people have sought to associate with the with the, the people that they already agree with. And you can see how social media has enabled this to happen. Like you can easily now find people who kind of already agree with you. And so now your truth is never challenged because your truth is now in a company with other people who share that same truth. And I was reading, uh, I've been talking to my wife about this a ton and I was saying, I I think there's a rise in fundamentalism. It's a secular fundamentalism. I can see it all over. You can see it in cancel culture. You can see it everywhere you look. There are are people who just are are so fundamental you know, they're, they're so stuck in their ways that they cannot be challenged by truth that's outside of them. And, and so she sent me this article. She said, hey, this is what you've been saying. Uh, David French wrote an article, and I wish I had written it, but he wrote it before me. He said, America is in the grips of a fundamentalist, fundamentalist, fundamentalist there it is, revival. And then the subtitle is, but it's not Christian. Uh, we, are in, we are in a space where, where fundamentalism is on the rise, both on the right and on the left, in the extremes of society. He says in his article, in other words, the fight fire with fire logic of competing fundamentalist strains of the American secular revival is precisely wrong. You've seen this. The right saying we're right, and the left saying we're right, and then you've seen the stones throwing back and forth, but no pursuit of common good, no pursuit of truth, no bending of my own sort of personal feelings towards a truth that's outside of me. And so he says, one flame doesn't eradicate or even permanently defeat the other. They both feed each other until the conflagration spirals out of control. Instead, the fight is, is <laughs> instead, <laughs> fight this fundamentalist fire with water, he says. Fight this fundamentalist fire with water, the living water from the Holy Spirit of a, of a loving God. Uh, I think that Right now, in American society, people are starting to realize that this kind of tension that we're all living in, uh, this kind of, uh, you know, sort of 
demonizing of our opponents uh, is, not is not producing an environment for human flourishing. There is a truth. There is a truth outside of you that if received, listen, there is a truth that is outside of you that if received provides the recipe for human flourishing. Listen to it in the words of Peter in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. For all flesh like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. There is a word, a truth, that is everlasting. There is a word, a truth, that pr produces human flourishing. So Christians are, are, are truth seekers, that's what we are. And the truth of Christianity is not just intellectual, uh, it's experiential. And it just drips off the page. I just kept feeling this as I was reading over and over again the, the section of scripture we're studying today. It just drips off the page that, that this truth is experiential, this truth that God has invited us to, to, to know. You see in verse 17, he says, and if you call on him as father, that part of the truth of the gospel is that not only Jesus rescues us from our sins, but that the father adopts us into his family. And the story of the Bible is the story of a father who sent his son to take a bride and to adopt many children. The story of the Bible is the story of the father who sent Jesus, his son, to take a bride to church and to adopt many children, me and you. In fact, the Bible tells a story of, how, of what God has done to restore his family ripped apart by sin. In fact, it tells the story of what God will do. I mean, when you look at the links that God has gone through to restore his family writ apart by sin, that speaks to the Father's love. See, God is not our cosmic sheriff seeking to arrest us. That's not the God that we serve. He is our cosmic Father seeking to save us. And the argument being made in verses 17 to 19 is in your time of exile, Remember, exile is the motif, if, if you were here with us last week, exile is the motif that First Peter is written in. In your time of exile, remember what the Father did in the Exodus. This is kind of a summary statement of verses 17 to 19. Listen along. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So he's saying, remember in the Exodus, how the, the, there was this dramatic salvation and the lamb represented how God passed over you and redeemed you and judged your enemies and Jesus is your is, is a true and perfect lamb. It was all pointing to Jesus and by, by him we, we escape the slavery of sin and we escape the consequence of death. He says, think back, the exile and the exodus motif, this will instruct you, this will help you to experience the good news of the gospel. Uh, our obedience to the, Father, to the Father always follows our experience of his rescue. And when you go back to Exodus 19, you see something about how the Exodus went and also how our salvation goes. You yourselves have seen what I did, says God, 
to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. He says, don't you see what I did, how I bore you on eagles' wings, how I rescued you? He says, now obey me and treasure me the way I've treasured you. Don't you see how this happened? God didn't say, hey guys, here's the law. When you get your act together, I'll, I'll rescue you. That's not what God the Father did. God the Father said, I rescued you. Do you see how I've treasured you? Now treasure me. How do, I treasure, how do we treasure him? By our obedience. To put it another way, Christians don't do good to get to God. We do good because God has gotten to us. That's the story of the Exodus. That's the story of our rescue. God the Father sent his son to take a bride and to adopt us into his family. See, the truth of the gospel is that you are, <laughs> you are God the Father's treasured possession. Isn't that good news? The truth of the gospel is that you are God the Father's treasured possession. And so we can say Christians are truth seekers. We are. But the truth of Christianity is not just intellectual. It's experiential. To take it a step further, the truth of Christianity is a deeply moving personal experience. Listen again to verse 2 of 1 Peter 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, Remember, remember your salvation and what it tasted like? Or do you remember the experience of it? What, what it feels like to be saved? See, all throughout this text, he's been saying, Jesus is precious to the Father. Jesus is precious to his Father. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus is chosen and precious to the Father. Listen to verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. That's not how God rescued you. That's not how he ransomed you. How did he ransom you? But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus is precious to his Father. Now let's see if we can taste together salvation. God the Father gave what was most precious to him for you, which begs the question, why? God the Father gave what was most precious to him for you. Why? Let's just get real for a second, okay? <laughs> when you look at yourself, do you see the value that God sees? <laughs> to, to pay a ransom was to attribute value to purchasing a slave and bringing that slave out of slavery. And when God gave his son for you, God was speaking a word of value over you and he was saying, you are, a, you are so valuable to me that I would give my son for you. 
So if you were the father, would you have given Jesus for you? Look, (laughs) COVID uh, is not bringing the best out of any of us. And there, there, you know, I know that you know that because of the pressure we are under economically, the, the, the political pressures, the, uh, certainly the, 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 the pressures because of uh, the, the racial conflicts that we have in the world. And when you put, you know, you put sinners in, in a home and you lock them up together, there's, there's going to be some stuff that you regret. And sometimes I think we are tempted uh, to attach our identity to our failures. And sometimes we, we have a hard time seeing in us what God sees in us. I don't have to tell you that you're messed up and you're a sinner and that you're in need of grace. Only narcissists have to be told that they're sinners. <laughs> I mean, the the rest of us in humanity, in our honest moments, can recognize that we are busted and we have blown it and there's there's some stuff that's not okay with us. You know what people need to hear? People need to hear that they are precious in the eyes of their Father in heaven. That Jesus, who is precious to the Father, was given as a ransom to purchase us out of our slavery to sin, to bring us into a, to a life of worship, I mean, to bring us into the family of God, to allow us the, the privilege of calling God our Father. It has been my observation in life that people need to be both known and loved, but most people will settle for just being loved. Because let's be honest, we feel like if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. Friend, I I can tell you, God knows you and he knows everything there is to know about you. There's nothing about you that's hidden to him. He knows you and you are precious to him. He knows you and it's precisely because he knows you and all the dark parts of you that he sent Jesus. And, you know, as a kingdom of priests, we can proclaim how he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christians are truth seekers. The truth of Christianity is not just intellectual, it's experiential. The truth of Christianity is is deeply moving personally. But it's also deeply moving communally. Look at verses 20 uh, to 22. He was foreknown, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, So it's always been God's plan that Jesus would be given for you. God created you knowing that he was going to give Jesus for you because you're precious to him. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, read here, familial love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I want you to imagine with me a community of people who have all just received an incredible gift of self-sacrificial love and in turn 
deeply desire to share that love, that's the church. If you can imagine a community of people who've had God the Father say over them, you are so precious to me that even though you were lost in your sin, you were separated from me, that I gave my son for you to rescue you from, from your slavery to sin, to bring you into wor- a life of worship, even though like, you were so busted and you were my enemy, I gave my son for you because you're precious to me, you're so precious to me that I would give my most precious, my most precious relationship, my son, like I would give my son for you like when that, when that happens, when you experience that, it's transformative. And when you're around other people who've experienced it, it's transformative. And when a community of people get together and they start loving one another with that kind of love, boy, that's magic. And Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He says, there's some, Jesus says, there's something about Christian community the way Christian people love each other, that is a testimony to the love of Jesus. See, Christians are to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, and they're to put on pure-hearted love. That, my friends, is a witness. So Christians are truth-seekers, and the truth of Christianity is not just intellectual, it's, it's experiential. And we experience it personally, we experience it communally, and we experience it missionally. Listen to verses four to six. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see, we are a holy priesthood. We've been called to do priestly things, namely to call attention to the cornerstone, Jesus, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, last week I, it was kind of a throwaway comment. I felt like maybe the guy was giving it to me to say. It was at the end of my message. And I I said, you know, look, this is, I mean, this, for me, I'll just be honest with you. I didn't realize how much personal energy I received from people. (laughs) Real personal interactions with people. And I always feel like on Sundays when, when the, the church, you know, space is filled and there's a lot of lobby conversations going on, I always felt tired on Sundays. But what I, what I didn't realize was how much that lobby time was feeding me and, and encouraging me and strengthening me. And, and it would be easy, I think it'd be easy, uh, to just look at all the things that we're missing out on right now because of COVID. Uh, and to have our focus there and miss out on the opportunity. I do think there's an opportunity here for our church. You see, we are responsible to the message of freedom we have received. And if, if a byproduct of COVID is you taking responsibility for your faith in a way that you've never taken responsibility before, before, 
Can I just speak to you? Hey, dad and mom, if, if, if suddenly you feel responsible for your child growing up in the faith and you can no longer outsource that to a children's ministry, man, take that responsibility, take it. If you've not felt responsible before for your neighbors and your neighborhood and for your house to be a center of ministry, then perhaps now's your time to take responsibility. If you have friends who are far from Jesus and they don't know the good news message of Jesus and you've been putting off the conversation, hoping somebody else might do it or they might catch it through osmosis somehow, and you haven't felt that responsibility to be a messenger of the light of the gospel of Jesus, you are a holy priesthood chosen by God that you might declare his excellencies, how he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You are responsible to the gospel message, so preach it, live it, let others experience it through you. See, we are to be a living example of the freedom through love that we have experienced. In 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, the scripture reads, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, that's distinct, separate, separate, uh, 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 identifiable, you also be holy, distinct in the world by your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be distinct because I am distinct. Timus and Chesser in their book, Everyday Church, say that people are often attracted to Christian community before they are attracted to the Christian message. I believe that's true. When Christians are living Christianly. We're in a season where we're calling New City to be good news. We're asking you to be good news. Uh, what we mean by that is to be good news for people in the city with our lives. And when we first introduced the Be Good News initiative, and we'll be giving updates about that in the coming weeks. I'm real excited about these updates, so you can hold tight on those. But the Be Good initiative was multifaceted, but one of the things we wanted to make sure we hit home and be good news, that if being good news for the whole city uh, wasn't, it wasn't specific enough, it lets too many people off the hook and doesn't really harness our responsibility. So we passed out personal response cards. They just said, I am committing to be good news for and it's like, who is it that God's calling you to be good news for? And we said, in, consider where you work, live, and play. Who is God calling you to be good news for where you work, live, and play? And with is, is to just simply to evaluate, how has God blessed you? I said last week, what God has rescued you from, he, also, he often calls you to. God often resources you in advance the mission he's called you to. So who has God called you for? In what place? Uh, with what resource? I believe, and we've, we've said this from the very beginning of planting New City 10 years ago, that people are more open to hearing the good news message from a good news people. Where's, where, is, where is New City Church? When somebody asks you that question, where is New City Church? You can say, New City Church is all over the, all over the city. In fact, we're we're, we're, we're beyond the city. New City Church is, uh, right now people are watching uh, New City Church from all over the country. And New City Church is everywhere. Right now, a kingdom of priests. Hopefully a kingdom of priests dedicated to being good news for the purpose of sharing the good news message of Jesus. The virus is a bad news problem, but I'm, I'm committed to this next part of the statement. 
the virus is a bad news problem, but it's not going to stop us from being God's good news people. The virus is a bad news problem, but it's not going to stop us from being God's good news people. I 100% am behind that statement. As a church, we're committed to being God's good news people. Every week, we, we close our services with a, a time of generosity, a time of communion, a time of prayer. And we'd, we'd love for you to participate with us in our Be Good News initiative. Our general fund is the, the Be Good News general fund. And when you give funds to that, it goes to the overall initiative. And we'd love for you to partner with us. And we were excited a few weeks ago to announce the purchase of the new facility. And, and we were excited a few weeks even uh, prior to that to be able to give an installment of cash to, to ministries that are caring for people that have been directly affected by COVID. That was such a phenomenal thing. We've been serving meals and caring for those in need. And we just so appreciate your generosity and the fact that as a church, we get to participate together in being God's good news presence here in our city and around the world. Uh, we, when we celebrate communion, you know, I, I want to encourage you just to, to develop a practice at home. Uh, get a bottle of wine and some bread or some grape juice and some crackers and, 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 and really spend some time as with, with your roommates or with your family. Uh, get together. If, you, if you're able to have a house church, get together outside and break the bread, take the cup. Remember Christ's body broken for you, the cup shed for you. For prayer, I want to encourage you, um, to, if, you know, to, to go on into the Zoom prayer room. Uh, there, are, there are staff members, elders that are there in the Zoom prayer room ready to pray. Um, you don't have to activate your video if you don't want to. And they would just love, love to pray with you. As, as, a, as a form, we've been praying together, but be, before we pray together, uh, just uh, a written prayer, I want to encourage you to join me today for the Q, live Q&A after uh, the 9.15 service or the 11 o'clock service if you're watching at that time. And uh, what I mean by after, as soon as the last song is sung and the kids' ministry begins, that's when the, the Q&A starts on Instagram. And so you can uh, check us out at New City ABQ there and uh, ask questions. I'd, I'd love to engage with you on this message. All right, let's pray together, church. Father, help us to treasure you like you treasure us. Thank you for redeeming us through the precious and loving sacrifice of your son. Help us to love one another with that kind of love. May our, our love be a testimony to the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless church. Love you.